They're like, we made this big move. We took a huge risk coming all the way across the Pacific. You know how much money we expended getting over here? You know how hard it is to fly by yourself? Dude, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Do you know how hard it is to be in a container ship for about three weeks when you're a bug? Welcome to the Beat Talks Podcast. I'm your host, DJ Ruche, and as you can tell from the teaser clip you just heard, today's pod is going to be a little different. My friend Kevin Barnett is a former professional athlete, two-time Olympian, and a broadcaster. Kevin and I have known each other for about 10 years as we did a podcast together called The Net Live. I know I normally chat with DJs and music directors, but I was very curious what it was like from a broadcast perspective to announce an event without fans. Since Kevin and I worked together on the AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour and we just wrapped up three weekends of events, I wanted to get his perspective, so I invited him on the pod. And not only will you hear us discuss those events, but you'll get a glimpse into what it was like working together on the net live for almost 10 years. Basically, we veer off topic a lot, so bear with us. But Kevin brings a great perspective to this pod, and I hope you enjoy. All right, Kevin Barnett, welcome to the Beat Talks podcast. We're going to have to give some background on uh it's, we've come full circle for those that don't know you started the net live podcast in 2009 or 8 9, nine. january of 9 you read pretty dan madden yep it's all about volleyball hence the net live yep and then in 2010 i was introduced to read by our good friend chris geter mcgee and then 6 months later I was on the podcast, January 2011. Sucked in. Tricked in. Yeah. 100% tricked in. I was told that, because at the time there was like 36 hosts. It was like you, Reed, Geeter, whoever else happened to be in town at the time. DJ Roche, how about you come in and you can just add some musical element to it. Cool. I don't know how long it took for all the other hosts to drop <laughs> off, and maybe I should take that personally. But Three shows. Yeah, eventually it was just, you were like the... Only host left, and I was like, "Well, I can't leave because he's the guy. He's not gonna do it by himself. That would be terrible. So I'll just show up and make a joke every once in a while on the microphone, and then all of a sudden I became a co-host. So I literally tell everybody I was tricked into that show. I like, I like how you just felt bad for me. Yeah, and you stayed for nine years. <laughs> for nine years, <laughs> I, I know I say I don't like people a lot, Kevin, but I, I, I have a big heart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tricked into that show, but but because of being on the Net Live, which we just ended. January? February, February was our last show. Right before the world disintegrated. Actually, because the net live left, the world disintegrated. Great timing by us, and we apologize. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry be- for the murder hornets. Yeah. <laughs> Man, the murder hornets really did not have their moment this year. No, they feel overshadowed. Seriously. They're bummed out. They're like, we made this big move. We took a huge risk coming all the way across the Pacific. you know how much money we expended getting over here? You know how hard it is to fly by yourself? Dude, yeah, seriously. <laughs> do you know how hard it is to be in a container ship for about three weeks when you're a bug? Dude, yeah. What are you eating? Wood? Yeah, and then you establish a colony. You finally get an outpost. It's like Jonestown. You get an outpost... And then all of a sudden, a global pandemic takes away all your fire. You're you're poised to take over and you know just just rape and pillage like the Vikings in the monasteries in the 700s, and nothing. I mean, and you had such a great name of Murder Hornet, like you just really thought like, oh, yeah. we we are in for some deep ish now. They worked hard on their branding. They did ripping heads off millions of bees. In the photo, they shows the they're like. Flying pterodactyls, like they were huge. They are huge. Well, yeah. Too bad they uh, they failed twenty twenty. 
We're, what were we talking about? This makes me think about <laughs> Ghostbusters. What are you guys, exterminators or something? Where yeah, somebody saw a roach up on 12. Where do those stairs go? They go up. <laughs> they go up, right? So, <laughs> Duh. Yeah, so because of the Net Live, which you just got a glimpse into what it was like for nine years, talking about things that were not related to volleyball, uh, is how I felt comfortable starting this podcast. I so, love that because you said you didn't want to be a host and you were kind of mad you were a host and then you still were a host and then you finally are released from your duties and you can go back to being a normal citizen and all of a sudden you have your own podcast. I love it. Well, it just shows you how selfish I am, Kevin. If it's just about me, hmm. then it's fine. But if I have to share some glory with some other people, then I'm out. Some people say that about me on the Amazon show. Sweet. So you, I did some research on you, Kevin, because I'm a professional podcaster now. I Actually, like it. most of the stuff I knew, but you are a two-time Olympian. Can we just say Olympian? It's fine. 2000, Sydney. Yep. 2004, Athens. Yep. But you were on the indoor men's national team in 97. Was that when you first started? Yep, 97. So then you broke both of your knees and became a professional talker. We'll keep that as accurate, yes. <laughs> I don't know if that's the proper medical term of breaking both of your knees, but yes, something like something that. like that. Ended your career, you couldn't can't jump anymore. If you could still play, you would. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can still play, but you wouldn't be able to walk tomorrow. Correct. I would have to have surgery a week from now, but in some cases, it might just be worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> totally worth it. So, broadcaster at three Olympics. Let me think about that. Yeah, ever since. So 8, 12, 16 was supposed to be 20 this year. Man. I like that they're still going to call the 2020 Olympics 2020, even though we'll be in 21. Are they really? That's the not going to rebrand Too many well, patches were I was going to say, think about how much money they have to spend on just rebranding, just changing the zero to a one. Well, since I have a laser, I'm going to take whatever they give me, and I'm going to put a, <laughs> an X over the zero and put a one next to it in red or something. <laughs> Perfect. Why not? The hashtag is going to be all over the place. People are going to be confused. Yeah. Yeah. Because when we look back in 100 years, they're going to be like, if we're still around in 100 years, was it in 20 or 21? Were there murder right. hornets? Things of that nature. <laughs> <laughs> so your knees let you down, and then you became a professional talker. Yep. And this is all building up to my real questions, but how did that transition go from playing to being in the broadcast booth? Haphazardly. Did you get tricked into it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a weird one because I retired in early six. So I'm on the team nine, ten years, and then I leave. And the team moves back to California. I end up moving back to California. I was doing real estate in Colorado Springs. I was thinking about staying. It's very inexpensive to live there, especially if you've been there since the middle 90s or late 90s. And eventually just decided kids are two and four. We're going to move back to L.A. So came back, and I was venturing into some other manufacturing things, ideas that may have worked. But then USA Volleyball said, hey, we... We're interested in having somebody do our World League. We have the World League coming up. We're back into that. We have to have TV. Are you interested in being the analyst? Sure. I don't know anything about it. I've, I've done a little bit of work in Colorado Springs. I was say, how did they even know to ask you Yeah, that? so in Colorado Springs, I, I was leaving that part out. I had done some work with a guy by the name of Dan Koshell. And Dan Koshell was running a thing called the Delphia Sportsnet. It was local high school sports in Colorado Springs, and it just popped up out of nowhere. Phil Etherton actually got the contact somehow. I don't know. And Phil went to the interview, and I said, hey, Phil, if you're not interested, I would be interested. Phil was also on the national team? Correct. Yeah. Correct. And so Phil went to this thing, and he came back, and he said, uh, Barney, I'm not really into it. Why don't you go? So I called this guy down, and I went over and sat in his office, and 
went and started doing some high school basketball and high school volleyball as the analyst. Now, Dan Koshell, he would run the main game camera, which is the center line or mid-court camera that runs back and forth. He would run the switcher because we had an ENG camera down on the floor. And he would call play-by-play at the same time, all while monitoring the audio. Wow. Never mind that Dan got hit by a tornado at one point, and he's half blind in one eye. Wow. (laughs) For real. All that's true. Hit by a tornado. You got to watch it when you're crossing the street. Do not get hit by a tornado. On the list of things that I don't want to happen to me. That has now moved up the ranks. I never even considered that, but that is now, might be top 10. Burning, being eaten by a shark or other animal, and yes, hit by a tornado. Oh my God. Yeah, so Dan Cochelle was quite the interesting dude. And actually, full circle, I would end up working with his best friend years later on Supercross. Random, random deal. Wow. Yeah, working, that was my first experience. So I had a little bit of experience USA Volleyball, knew that. They were looking for somebody new. I had just retired, so I knew all the guys, and that's how I got started. They paired me with Chris Marlowe for the first couple of years, which was great. And that was all indoor stuff, and then now you're doing the Amazon Prime broadcast for the AVP Pro Beach Volleyball Tour, so now you are a beach guy. Right. Because and I like to make fun of that because you can't be both in some people's eyes. Um, how did the Amazon deal come about with the AVP? Well, that's years later. So I had to work a long time to go from being an analyst, which is the X something. And it's a funny thing in life. And I think athletes go through it uniquely because it's a job that's going to end at some point. And most athletes are not wealthy enough that that's it, especially Olympic athletes. Almost no one's wealthy enough to just, all right, I'm done. Yeah, I don't have to work. Maybe thirties. Yeah, have a lot of life left. And there's no money in Olympic sports at all. I mean, volleyball is fortunate. There is a good amount of money in in that, but not compared to MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL, that kind of stuff. So you have to find something else to do. And I started out as the X something, and people used to ask me, "Well, what do you do?" When I first retired, I said, "Well, I used to play volleyball," mm. which is a terrible way to answer that question. What do you do? I used to. Yeah. But that was but the reality for a while. That's what you've been doing for 20 some odd years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But my, uh, my, I had my kids. I was staying at home, but this announcing thing came up. So I was an analyst. I found out that I enjoyed the work. I enjoyed being on air. I still enjoyed very much being a part of the event. Some people don't. I've worked with people who are good at it and don't like mm. it. Yeah. So... I started making inroads to try and figure out how to get to the analyst out of the analyst chair, get to the play-by-play chair, the host. Because the analyst is for layperson like myself. You are just breaking down the game, you, right? You're the the how and why. Got it. The who and what and the control of the broadcast is the actual professional broadcaster. That's a real career. Yes, you can make a career out of it if you're Troy Aikman or you're Reggie Miller, and it happens to be your sport is huge and you can get paid five figures a game, whatever. But if you're anybody else, it's fine, but it's not, and especially at that time, it wasn't really a career. It was a nice hobby. There wasn't a lot of volleyball on TV compared to today. And most former athletes are put into the analyst role. All, yeah. yeah. Going between chairs like like I've done is unusual, mm-hmm. very unusual overall. Not as unusual in volleyball, which is funny, yeah. but it, it's a combination of people that are, I think, intelligent, motivated, and interested in what they're doing. And, and an area where we don't have $5 million, $10 million, $30 million in the bank, basketball players, why would you bother being the other guy? 
Yeah. You can be the analyst. Pays just as well. You're a celebrity. It all works great. But for us, it, it's unusual because I followed the well-worn path by Chris Marlowe and Paul Sunderland to make that jump from analyst, ex-player to professional broadcaster. Dane Blanton is along that same path. Now he's doing play-by-play for us. So I started generating opportunities in volleyball to move chairs and to control the broadcast. You have a much bigger role dealing with the producer, getting in on a commercial properly, doing reads, leading your analyst. It's a totally different job. Well, in sports terms, you're like the quarterback on a football team or you're the setter on a volleyball team or you're the point guard on a basketball team. Like You almost have to know everybody's position and set everybody up. Correct. Correct. My job as a as a play-by-play or a host, is to make everyone else look good. Yeah. Make my analysts look good. If I do my job well, I'm kind of like a quarterback who gets offensive lineman credit. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing it well, then you don't notice what I'm doing. So I, I generated a lot of opportunities to do that in my own sport. Then I signed with Supercross. I did that for three years, going all over the United States, hosting their qualifying show because they have qualifying every weekend. So that was a tremendous asset in that that show had no structure to it. We had qualifying. We would Myself, my co-host, would have to schedule guests. We would do, go out and do a bunch of interviews that would air during our show, but there was very little structure. So it was kind of like myself and my, my buddy Jim Holly, who I still hang out with to this day, next to each other and, okay, turn the camera on. And, and whatever were, Jim and, and I did... Those are long days too, right? Yeah, you're talking about a three-and-a-half, four-hour show. And then wrap-ups on the end. So I, I would work. I'd be at the track 7.30 in the morning. I'd leave the track at 11 o'clock at night. So that show, along with a show that I got in 2012 coming out of the Olympics at Fox, Tom Fuhrer gave me a shot. I'd been pestering him for three, four years. <laughs> and at the Olympics, I did what's called a two-way with Dan Patrick. And I got a couple of calls... Right after that, because I I came into work one day and they said, hey, Kevin, uh, we want you in about 20 minutes to do a two-way with Dan Patrick. I was like, that's great. No problem. That sounds fantastic. What on earth is a (laughs) two-way? I'll do it, but just somebody tell me what it is. Correct. (laughs) So a two-way is where Dan is in the studio. He talks to the camera. I'm out at the site. I talk to the camera, and we're split screen like we're talking to each other. So it sounds simple. I challenge anyone to go ahead and try it. So I did it. It went well. We did it a few more times. But I came back from the first day, and a lot of people had are watching these events. It's and also two different, Patrick. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I had two different job offers, awesome. one of which was for a high school football show in, in, in Los Angeles on Friday nights that actually Chris McGee had hosted before. Yes, he did. Yeah, and then I hosted after, and there was somebody in between, I think, as well. So for three years, I did that show, and that show was a hot mess at times. <laughs> so those two were really good at training me for the Amazon Prime. But I had to do all those intermediate steps, so I had to gain the broadcasting skills. I was fortunate enough to generate enough opportunities to get some people to say yes, to tolerate me sucking. I still think there's a moment at Fox where I blew something that may have put me further along the path at Fox, but happens. whatever. And and so you have to be ready when the Amazon deal came around. I got a, a call and they said, we're looking for somebody that can host a show, do some play-by-play. And I've been doing the Net Live, by the way, this whole time with the idea of increasing my broadcasting skills. Because when I first did the Net Live and listened to it, it was terrible. <laughs> uh, so we want you to do host, play-by-play, some analyst work, and maybe some roving reporter type stuff. And, and I said, okay, 
That sounds great. They go, well, we're not sure though, because there have been some things between you and the AVP, and the, the AVP feels like you're negative about them. I said, okay, because doing because a podcast. Because of things that we said on the net live. Yeah. Yeah, because doing a podcast, you're just going to get yourself in trouble if you have an opinion. <laughs> and I said, okay, I have no problem with the AVP. In fact, if you listen to last year, I thought they've been doing a good job. Then they're back and forth about who they're going to get and this and that. And finally, I just said to him about the third phone call, I said, so who else do you think can do this job? Like nobody else has this set of skills in the volleyball world. Nobody else owns this set of skills except me. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) You're right. You're hired. And then it happened that Indoor went away that year. Indoor disappeared Mm -hmm. off into the internet ether and so I went from doing a full slate of indoor in a summer to instead doing a full slate of outdoor for a year. Then the next year, some indoor came back because they were so unhappy with their package in 2018 that yeah. in 2019, it came back. And I ended up doing both, Yeah, which was crazy. I went, I did nine trips to New York, round trips to New York inside of six weeks. At one point, I flew to and from New York three times in 10 days. I remember that. I one felt of like I was Michael Strahan. too, right? Because yeah. the AVP was in New York that time. I felt like I was Michael Strahan, like going back and forth, being bi-coastal. Good morning, America. Wish you had that Michael Strahan money, though. No doubt. <laughs> his, his flights are a little more pleasant than mine. So that's a long way to get to, yeah, here's this stretch of, I start as an analyst in 2007, and then I end up as the host, the main host in 2018 for the AVP. There's a long 11 years of scratching and clawing and nearly quitting the, the business and moving on. Which are all stories everybody I've talked to on this podcast is, I think in most businesses, nothing is overnight, right? You see the success overnight, but nothing is overnight. Everything takes forever. You have to learn things that you don't know. Yeah, it's a 10-year overnight success. 100%. Every talk, time. Talk about it on the show, like I was terrible my first probably few years doing sporting events. Like looking back now, I'm like, that is embarrassing. But I didn't know any different. Um, and you hope that you learn and get better. And then we're going to get to the entertainment stuff from a broadcaster's perspective is why I wanted to talk to you today. But talk about the difference of playing being your focus and then seeing it on the other side as a broadcaster analyst to then critique guys that you were probably playing with for a little while at least. Oh yeah. Fortunately, I'm not too shy with my opinion. And they knew that prior to that. Yeah. Which makes prior me to you becoming professional, which makes me not <laughs> popular sometimes. It's fine. And I'm fine with it. If you don't like my opinion, tell me where I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. And if you can show me some stats or if I got something wrong, there's a famous incident with a very famous guy in volleyball that I patently blew something. Mm-hmm. I absolutely, I didn't have the facts right. And so I said that the next, once I found out, I said, here, here's exactly what was wrong. But if you don't like my opinion of what you're doing, then you have to show me with your play that it's different. Because I'm not out there to hammer people. Yeah, I'm out there to make people look good as an analyst and inform the viewer when things don't go right. And I don't really, I don't have an ax to grind. And I guess you could argue that, but (laughs) there are very few personal demons. Yeah. There are very few people in this sport that I don't care for. I love the people of this sport. I, I was going to leave this sport. I told my wife for years, I'm quitting. I'm leaving when I'm done with this, I'm out. 
when I was playing. Like, I'm out. And here I am, 15 years later, I'm still here. Every day she looks at you and she's like, I thought we were out of this. Yeah, she said to me a few times. Uh, Because the people are great. They really are. And I I truly enjoy my days at the AVP. And they are long sometimes, Mm -hmm. 10, 11 hours. But I truly enjoy my time at the beach. And I, I played beach volleyball. My plan was to play professional beach volleyball, not indoor. My initial plan was to play professionally outdoors. I had no notion of going to the Olympics. I had no notion of the indoors, nothing. And this is all before volleyball was in the Olympics, mm-hmm. beach volleyball in 96, mm-hmm. finally made it. I moved out to California in 92 to play on the AVP tour. Awesome. And I played every summer in between college and so on. And that was my plan. When I retired from indoor, or actually my last, my season in Italy, A1, I was planning to come back and play beach in the summer. And I got hurt that year and kind of this odyssey went on and I just never got to play. And I came back, I moved to California back in 06 and I started playing. My plan, I was thinking, can my body handle it? Like I can't handle indoor, but could I, could I play on the beach? But the bottom line is I couldn't warm up for the third match of the day. I could warm up once and play because it's different. Um, indoor, you have one. You're playing one match a day, so your whole day is geared to being getting your body ready for that one match. You only do the cycle once, correct? Where on the beach, if you're lucky enough and you stay in the winners bracket, you don't have to play that many. But if right. you lose, especially if you lose early, then you're grinding the rest of the tournament, and it's it's a wave up and down all day long. Yeah, and I, I wanted to play beach. I fit beach fairly well. I'm not sure if I would have been a blocker or defender. Skill-wise, I had all the skills, mm. but I'd either be an undersized blocker or an oversized defender. I would probably guess over time I'd end up being a defender. But yeah. My skills definitely would have to have improved. Do you recall the entertainment side of, especially in the Olympics, um, or even leading up to the Olympics, playing international and things like that in the late 90s, early 2000s? Did it ever really cross your mind other than like introductions where they're having laser shows and things of that nature? Never saw a laser show. Uh, Boring would be the thing I would, Hmm. the single word, just just boring. Dull. It was all about protocol. And still to this day, it's a bit too much about it, although that's easing. Yeah. Yeah, there there wasn't a lot. I I can tell you that if we had good warm-up music, that made a difference. Yeah. So, and if we had a basketball hoop, that also made a difference. <laughs> Which is funny as a volleyball player, if you had a basketball hoop, I get if, it. If I could throw down some gnarly dunks and get ready. And feel good about yourself. Yeah, I remember playing <laughs> in Argentina, and they had some really good music going, and they had a hoop that was off the side of this giant gym we were playing in, so I was just over there throwing down dunks and get warmed up. You take off from the free throw line with the windmill, and you're like, okay, I'm ready to go. Yeah, now Perfect. I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Yeah, the that aspect of volleyball really lacked even even up to the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. It's just too much about the protocol. And you and I on the podcast talked about the ruling body, the FIVB, and their lack of innovation, their lack of understanding of the entertainment aspect. That's changing, and I hope the AV, the FIVB makes it through. So this do pandemic. I. Yeah, and what I've noticed, and it's not even just in volleyball and sports in general even when i first started basketball for me now i've been doing it so long it's in its second wave when i first started music all the time constantly slapping you in the face and then i was also djing for a losing team and then when they send out the questionnaire of to your season ticket holders but they don't say 
there's no question on there about the team. So they're just negative about everything else. It's the music's fault, why the team's losing, things of that nature. So then we swing back the other way where it's like, oh, we want to hear play a little bit more. So the pendulum has swung then back to not as much music to where now it's back to we're slapping you in the face all the time. Like the Lakers are not like this. It's definitely more about basketball, even though there might be music all the time, but you go to other arenas and it is in your face constantly. And I feel like we've overcorrected a little bit and that pendulum will swing back a little bit because if people stopped and actually paid attention to the crowd, which I always say is the DJ's one of the main jobs is to read the crowd. I can tell you if the crowd's like, you are just absolutely smashing me too much with not even just music, just yelling on the microphone, videos blaring, lights splashing me in the face. It can be too much after a while. Can be. See the FIVB World <laughs> League finals in Chicago last year. Well, and that's why I think like that pendulum, terrible. That pendulum has swung. They went from no entertainment uh. to we're going to have entertainment all the time. You can't be screaming, okay? You can't be Joe <laughs> Tessitore. <laughs> To, to give it an it's example. Not, it's not a wrestling match or an MMA match. No. like, Look, you have to have somewhere to go. And me as a play-by-play, I have to have somewhere to go. From the beginning of the event, basketball game, volleyball game, doesn't matter, to the end, the culmination, the pinnacle, the, the penultimate moment, whatever. You have to have somewhere to go. Great word, by the way. To capture what happens at the end when it matters. And that was my big complaint with Tessitore on Monday Night Football the last few years, it is second and five with 10 minutes to go in the first quarter. And he is screaming into the microphone like he, this team just won the Super Bowl when they convert a first down. And they did it with an off-tackle run. And then what happens when you do win the Super Bowl? How do you go? If you're already at 100, how do you go more? And I don't want to listen to somebody at 100. And I went to, the, to Chicago to the FIVB Finals. The VNL finals for the men last year at my own expense. And I flew there and they are screaming from the first point. The music is at 11 from the first point. You cannot do that. Whoever is in charge has no clue, no experience with what's going on. You're just blasting people, as you're saying, with noise. And it makes no sense. So I think about an AVP day, and I know you've been pushed along here or there, but the morning matches, look, it's morning. <laughs> We're not. The club is not bumping at nine in the morning. <laughs> no, it's or not. Eight in the morning. We're everybody's up. They're playing. It's intense. There aren't that many people anyway. With forget the pandemic times. There's not that many people in the stands anyway. Chill out. But Saturday night, last match in Huntington. Saturday night, last match in Seattle. In Seattle, you should have taken all of your equipment. <laughs> pushed it out of the DJ stand, let it all clatter to the ground, and walked off and never come back. Because that was an incredible night of volleyball and you helping to set the tone along with the action. And the crowd was into it. I love it when you have played a beat and then a play happens and you just come back with that beat a little louder, a little, just a little more. And then something else happened, and it was perfect in Seattle. I remember the play, but some crazy thing happens, and you came back with even more of it, and here's all of it. And the crowd is like, yes, yes, yes. give it give all it to, to us. Give it to me. We would like all of this right now, and we will not even talk. We'll just bob our heads. We will just be into the moment and serve another ball. Because then everything's just working together, and you can feel it, and you can, and you can feel when it's right, and you can feel when it's wrong, FIVB. Yeah, and I... Um, I, in all of my years of experience, I've understood that 
a lot of the people making the entertainment decisions during an event are on headsets, are in meetings, are talking on their phone, or they're looking at a piece of paper because they are planning what's coming next in the game. So if there's a moment of silence, they're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Everybody's bored. Or... They don't. They're not reading the the match play itself. So I don't. Because they're involved in a totally different thing. And and one and, and I completely understand that. Um, and I've had many of conversations with people over the years of because there's a trust factor. Because there's some DJs that can't read the room and wouldn't know how to do that. And they're like, oh, this needs to be a raging party the whole time. And look, if the AVP wanted, or the FIVB, or the Lakers, or anybody wanted to have a raging event the entire time. If you bring me those fans, I will rage all day long. They're going to need some chemical encouragement. But if you don't have, but hours. if you don't have those kind of fans, yeah. I'm going, if I, that match you were talking about, if I was at that level at 10 AM that morning, yeah, that work. match wouldn't have felt the same because the crowd would be exhausted. Right. The players would be exhausted because they're still even feeling it off the court. And that match never would have happened that same way. There's a reason why a rave goes for three, four hours at the same pace, okay? <laughs> and it's not because the not music the or the lights. Is so good. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with whatever it is you're taking if you're attending those things to allow you to go for four hours of that. Yeah. The, I, could, I could hammer some people, but the bottom line is this. You're an artist. Mm-hmm. I'm a vocal artist, but I'm also an artist on the side making stuff. I approach it, and I think of your job the same way, the way I approach furniture or other art, random stuff that I build. You, as the client, have an idea of what you want. And this is very much what they tell you to do if you're going to go out on commercial calls to try and book commercials. Ask if you're married to copy. Am I married to this copy? Which means, do I have to say every word that's on this freaking piece of paper? Mm -hmm. Most times the answer is no. So, same idea building a piece of furniture. Give me the basic structure. Let me interpret your space, what utility you want, and then your taste. And then I'm going to add me on top of it. Same thing here. You have to, as an event promoter, you have to hire people that you trust for your event to say, Jeremy, here's the things, elements we have to get in. Here's our basic structure. Put you on top of that. And we trust you to interpret, read, and create the atmosphere. And that's that's what it has to be. It has to be a collaboration because those people you're talking about who are in those meetings, number one, do not do the jobs. Mm-hmm. They have totally different jobs. Number two, when they are on site, they are being pulled in five other directions. If they are an on-site person who has authority, they are involved in a totally different experience. Correct. Like my producer, nothing is more exemplative of that than my producer where I will say something on air. I will say, coming up on court two, this fantastic match between two top teams. 30 seconds later, my producer will say, you need to mention the match on court two. I just did. The reason it's in your head is because you're doing other things and you semi heard it. You subconsciously heard what I said and now you're all worried. Yeah, we got to get that in. The reason it's in your head is because I already yeah. said it. Nailed it. It I, happens I got you. every day. Yeah, of course. So I get in the mic. I just said that. So, well, and that's the difference with them too. They're in a truck off site watching it on TV. Correct. And like you said, doing 10,000 other things. Yeah. They Not necessarily jumped. listen to every single word you say. Um, yeah. So I, I, I will give Donald's son 
and Steph's son and the AVP, lots of credit that when they first came in, right there, we want this to be a raging beach party. And I, every time a new owner comes in, that's for any sport, that's what it always is. I want this to be a raging event. And it my, will be Saturday night. And my response is always, if you bring me that crowd, I'll rage all day long. But if that's not the crowd, I it's is there's an idea of what we all and every event is this way, by the way. Every club, every corporate event, every wedding, every child's party, like this is gonna be the greatest event ever. How many child's parties have you done? I don't do any child's parties. <laughs> but I'm because they do parties, I guarantee you they want it to be a raging party. If you want Jeremy, if you're a bot mitzvah, all you have to do is email DJ Jeremy Roche. I've actually uh-huh. never done a bar mitzvah or a bot mitzvah. Correct. Maybe you should. No, I, I Listen, for the right price, you can be For bought. the right price, I'll I'll be there, for yeah, sure. me too. Yeah. Um, but like I was saying, I give the AVP a lot of credit. They did, not that they didn't trust me at first, but Donald, like, he's like, well, I want it to be like this, but I kind of, you know, I'm, I'll let you, I'll trust to see how you do it. Because Tom right. was like, I'm going to give you what you want, just not exactly how you're saying it. Right, right because they don't know. And, and the trick with commercial acting, when they'll tell you is that, the producers or the casting agents, they think they know what they want mm-hmm. until you give them something else. Yeah. Because they're looking for somebody to fit whatever their image or their mold is, right? But if you give them something better, they'll go, no, that's what I want. Then you're in. Then you're not competing with 10 other people for the, the one box, right? You drew your own box that has wrapping paper on it and a nice bow. They're like, yeah, I'll take that one, not the one we were trying to fill. Forget that. We'll take this one. Because that's how the business works. And you you have to have people who are open to that, to what you're saying with, with Steph and Donald, open to hiring people and trusting them, just like any other business. And one of the great things about the Amazon show was that that was the case. Out of a variety of factors, I showed up 2018 Austin, our first event that year. I got there, mind you. We have nine hours of TV, three days in a row, and I haven't seen so much as a rundown. (laughs) I know we have volleyball matches. I know we have this intro show, supposedly, and a closed show. And I have no idea what's in between. And no idea who the the exact host was. Literally in the first meeting, they hand out the piece of paper and it said host, Kevin Barnett, analyst, Cameron Irwin, and Kelly Tennant. Good. Thanks for clarifying that for me. Sweet. (laughs) And so we started this thing and it was just go. And so there was, if you're afraid of space like that, then it's bad. But if you can adapt to it, then it's great. And by 2019, I figured out I could, well, even midway through 2018, I figured out I could do almost anything I wanted. Well, some of it too is people are used to a structure, right? Like even like I'm used to a certain DJ area or I need X amount of room. And then all of a sudden they're like, you don't have this much room or you're behind a plexiglass and you can't hear the crowd at all whatsoever, but you still need to do the same thing. You need to be, if you can't adapt, you're not gonna be able to do that job. And the Amazon broadcast people don't know this 2018 was the first time it had ever been done. So I don't. I'm sure everybody had an idea of what they thought it was going to be, but nobody knew exactly how to do it yet because it hadn't been done. Doing a TV show for nine hours? Nine hours. Yeah, nobody knew what it looked like. No, of course not. But the training that I had done at Supercross with the lack of structure, then at Fox with the high school football show, which had lots of structure, but had so many freewheeling parts that that structure would get destroyed on the regular and so you'd you'd have all this structure and you'd be reorganizing the parts 
like a transformer. You'd be moving this piece to here and that piece to there. And the, Okay, now we're in the car mode. Okay, now All we're right. in the robot. And you'd have to deal with that. You'd have to deal with that on the fly and live on air and figure it out. How do you gap 45 seconds? Or some of the other remote broadcasts I've been on for other organizations where they have a technical snafu and we get kicked off air. Or a technical snafu happens in the arena and you have 35 minutes to fill before the lights come back By on. yourself. Yeah, we, me and the co-host. Yeah. Together. And yeah, how do you do that? Well, you better be able to talk about different topics and connect ideas and think of just random stuff to discuss. Man. That's why this podcast could go too long. Uh, so you you have to be able to be flexible and, and adaptable in today's TV environment because no one knows what today's TV environment is. It's all weird. We've been doing years of doing events with fans. Yeah. And then the last three weekends, we were fortunate enough that the AVP was able to pull off three went three events. I will definitely edit that part out. <laughs> Just start again. Digital three uh, events. Three, the three events. Uh, shout out to Donald and Steph, the entire AVP staff, especially Josh, Josh Glazebrook, for sure. Um, for being able to pull that off. I had an easy job. I just showed up and played music. They had to do all the health codes and temperature checks. I ran hot, by the way. I, apparently, I run hot. My, we knew this. I, my wife knows. Well, yes. I explained to somebody the other day, because uh, Bill Burr said it on uh, his last stand-up, that I don't go 0 to 100. I'm always idling at 75. Right. So getting to 100 is just a slightly harder push on the pedal. Um, but yeah, so I run hot. Um, but they pulled off great event. But announcing... You're obviously doing a TV broadcast, and you've done TV broadcasts in a booth where not live at the event. Did this feel like the combination of having to do a satellite broadcast because you're not in the arena, or did it? Did you not necessarily notice it that much because you're doing a TV show? I like that I office in my garage, and as do you, and I'm sitting next to your washer dryer. Yeah. It's also my studio. I sit next to my washer dryer all day, so I feel very comfortable. It's a very professional studio, Kevin. Yeah, and someone may think, where's that idea come from? Well, it, it's about comfort. It's about creating spaces that you are familiar with that you can jump off of. So our studio was actually bigger and better, mm -hmm. so it's quite comfortable. It looked great. We were in the middle, which was odd. Normally, we are overlooking the action. We could sort of watch the action from where we were, but they didn't want us talking into the arena so the players were directly listening to what we were saying. Yeah, though I and I think I asked Dane Blanton, who's part of the broadcast, when we had a match off, he was in the booth. Because the way you guys were facing, if you're looking at your monitors on the match, the actual court was to your left. Your we booth, were 90 degrees. Your yeah. booth was facing Correct. the end line, just like mine was. But the way you were sit situated in your booth, got it. We were 90 degrees to the action. That made sense. So when you're like, Phil, you suck. Why didn't you block that ball? He couldn't actually hear you. Yeah, I'm not sure. We have to go back and review the tape. See if you actually ever said that. But it, it's about comfort, right? So the studio feels good. The setup feels good. You can sort of see the action, which is a little bit different. I I didn't mind the fans not being there. For, for me, as a broadcaster, I have to, in a vacuum many times, bring that anyway. Because yep. the fans aren't always bringing it. We do plenty of morning matches where the fans aren't there. You have to punctuate the action without the fans when the fans are there during an exciting winner's bracket quarterfinal on a Saturday evening or a Sunday final, I have to lay out because there's 
something happening. The winning moment is happening and the crowd is cheering and the, the ambiance is there. And that's the right call because oh, yeah. let them do the work for you at that moment. Yeah, you get in trouble for stepping on it. Yeah. And there's a constant debate about what is stepping on it. How much should you talk? When should you lay out? Well, I'm Less sure is a more. fine line of all of that stuff. Yeah. The problem with my business is it's the same as opinions. <laughs> well, there's no there's a wrong answer for sure. There's no objective, but there's not necessarily a right answer because it's it's not two plus two equals four. It's like, hey, you should wait ten seconds after the ball hits the ground to ever speak. Like that's not a it's if not I'm, ever going to be like that. If I'm mfing people on air, that's the wrong thing to do, right? I would love that. But Don, if, Donald's son would love that. If the player on our very first match. With all of our live mics that were hot because <laughs> we didn't have a crowd, we had all this live mic stuff, which I didn't, which I couldn't step on. Drops an MF right away. Thank you, Nick Lucena. Then we know we've broken the seal, and all bets are off. But the players this time, what replaced it for us in terms of interesting audio from the stadium was the players. Mm -hmm. We had so many mics around; you could hear everything essentially that was said. We mic'd up the referees. We and mic'd up the coaches driving down the street. Yeah. So we we heard all that that audio, which was great. So you got those player discussions. So sometimes I'd finish a play, it's controversial, that ball's out. Here comes the controversy. All four players are talking at once. You certainly don't need to hear from me on top of that. Correct. But just let it play out. Let them go. Let John Hyden ask the referee if this is his very first match. John Hyden, there are so many things I was because I was closer to the court than I've ever been, and. I knew TV wanted to hear more of the talking, so when I when stuff like that happened, I made sure I didn't yeah. push my audio Same too hard because yeah. I heard John Hyden ask tell the referee he has to use all five of his senses, followed by smell it if you have to. It was one of <laughs> can you smell it? My most favorite things I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, it, it, there was some funny stuff said, and so that was the big difference. The energy level, yeah, you didn't get that Saturday night thing. Yep. But like you said, that, that's a crescendo of a day's work, or that's a crescendo of a play midday Saturday, midday Sunday. That's not all the time. So we were in that other mode, but then you added in the players, and you got that intrigue of listening to the players' strategy, listening to the players' coaches during timeouts, the different ways that they approached it. Some are very calm. Some are dropping F-bombs constantly, Jose Loyola. Some are hype. In Portuguese, though? Can you tell yeah. when he's cursing in Portuguese? I, well, I, that one I can. <laughs> Some some are like hype men, like Jose Lowe is kind of a hype man at yep. times. Jordan Chang is very cerebral all the time. So there's all those different levels of of interest for the fans to see, okay, this group gets this type of feedback from their coach. This other group gets this type of feedback from their coach. So I thought all that did a nice job of replacing the atmosphere from the fans. That said, you'd love to keep both now. Totally. Keep the mics and have the fans back. People ask me what it was like. Obviously, it was my first event DJing for no crowd. Don't get me wrong. I've DJed events with no crowd or just 10 people. But <laughs> It not, does happen. I feel bad yeah, for the entertainer. That is like, oh, you still have to bring your A game, and there's 10 people who are... You're better you than DJ Well, you also never know who the 10 people are. Maybe that one person's like, hey, this DJ had to play for 10 people, but they're having a good time up there. Maybe I'll hire them for... You just never know. Yeah. Um, I'm the musical director for uh, Warner, Warner Music. Yeah. The CEO. Yeah. Let me just take care of this guy. Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Um, <laughs> what I liked about our event, and again, goes back to Josh Glazebrook, is we weren't in a stadium where like, you turn into baseball 
soccer, right? What football will have if it actually happens? Empty stadium, even if there are digital people in there, stuffed animals, any of that stuff. It's hitting you in the face. It looks empty. Yeah. Where the first day of the AVP event, I came home and watched some matches to one critique how I was, how my music was being incorporated. Like, do I need to do this more? Do I need to do this less? Audio, all that stuff, because I'd never done it like that before. Um, but it didn't look empty. Right. Because the sponsorship wall was fairly close to the court. It felt very compact. And to me, that made it feel less empty, even though we're in, a, we're in the middle of a huge parking lot. And we're, it's definitely, there was, how many people do you think were on the main court? That 30? could actually, yeah, I would say 30 maybe people, 30. maybe. And the only people that would clap Including the players and would coaches. be people in the DJ booth because we're like, we need to applaud that play. That did all happen, t- yeah. All 10 of us, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good play. We should applaud them because they did a good job. Um, but I think basketball is like this too, watching it on TV because they're not in a normal arena. The Zoom fans are funny. Yes. That Zoom wall is pretty good. I like that. Little I, Wayne, did you see Lil Wayne as a Lakers uh, fan last night? No, I didn't. He was, digital, he was trying to digital, virtually give somebody a high five. I love it. Little Wayne was watching the Lakers game virtually last night. It was hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I want that for the, AV, for the AVP, but I think it's way expensive to get that kind of a setup. But I would like to see something like that. Uh, yeah. For the players, too, there's the biggest adjustment. Some players carry it. Some players, the funniest thing was when Phil and Nick won the first event and because they, they were the first champions with the yeah. women's final second and they were like yes we went wait there's nobody here and that was the okay. moment and i was like i'm gonna get artificial crowd noise just to applaud them at the yeah. very end it was that moment. i was like oh they need some even if it's fake just because i thought it would be funny want to take a quick break to say thank you for listening to the beat talks podcast very much appreciated if you ever have any questions feedback or want to make a suggestion for someone i have on the pod please feel free to reach out via the Beat Talks website, DJ Roche website, or any of the Beat Talks or DJ Roche social media pages. I will always reply. Also, my Why Not Wednesday DJ live stream is every Wednesday from 2 to 3 Pacific on Mixcloud and Twitch if you want to check that out. Now, back to my conversation with Kevin Barnett. So for you, what what happened from your end with these events where you're in the DJ booth, there is no crowd for you to, to deal with, and... That that takes away a significant amount of what you're listening to. Did that tune you into the players more? Where did where did that attention go? Well, like you just said, I over prepared because I thought the way I went into it, the way I thought the event, how I normally DJ an AVP event on Friday Saturdays. I get there at anywhere from seven to eight a.m. depends on when the first match is, and usually a half hour before play starts, I start playing music, and I don't stop playing music until the last match is over. So that could be eight hours, that could be 12 hours. On Sundays, I do it a little bit different. When we get to the finals, I take music in and out during play of the finals. So TV can hear it a little bit better. So I'm up and down constantly. But the other days, it's music all day long. So with this, going into it, there was talk of, do we do it how we normally do it? Do we... I, I know this wasn't the case, but like, do we do nothing? And then you just, do I just play during warm up? So I just play during. So I edited so much music because I, what I thought I was going to do at first was play music during warm ups, during play, not do anything unless there was an exciting moment, yeah. and then play music like if there was dead time where they would switch sides or there was a timeout. That's what I thought I was going to do. So I edited a ton of music to have on my 
equivalent of an instant replay machine where I have music on there, I hit a button and it's it's like what I use for my sound effects, but I can put full songs or full loops of music. So I spent way more time doing stuff that I did not use at all whatsoever. (laughs) (laughs) And talk with TV going into it, they were like, oh, we're going to want you to do less because we're going to want to hear music players so there might not be as much music i heard some of that meeting yeah yeah but in and we had a meeting before that and in my mind too i'm like there's gonna be more music than tv thinks they're going to be they're just saying this because they're worried that i will step on the players talking which totally understandable right because they've prepped their thing and they're not sure how their thing's going to turn out yeah and i knew going in like this was going to be different and that they were going to try to hear more of the players and as a fan which i am first before the dj like that's what i would want to hear too i don't need to hear my music over top of John Hyden yelling at the referee or Rich Lamborn talking to Jake and Taylor in the box between right. sets and stuff. Like that's what right. I would want to hear too. Um, so I went with, it took me probably a couple matches to really find my rhythm of how much I should do, shouldn't do, how loud it should be, all those kind of things. And it was, uh, warmups was all going to be about the players for the 10 minutes they had or 20 minutes they had on my, the court out on the right. main course, all the music's going to be for them. And regardless of what time of day it was, that was what, like I always not struggles in the correct term, but I always have a difficult time with the Friday morning, Saturday morning, first match warm up music because some of the players want to get going, but the 50 year old dude that just woke up and had his cup of coffee and sitting in the bleachers right now, it's a little chilly. It's not fully awake yet they may not want to get after it as much as said player does. So, but this yeah. was like April Ross will, uh, I saw her. She'll get after it a little bit, uh, with her music styling. So at 7 AM, 7 30 AM, we're, we're getting after it. Cause what does it matter? Right. Like it's just for the players. So for me, after the first couple of matches, I realized that I didn't necessarily have a formula other than if it's exciting, I'm going to give you music. If it's boring, I'm going to give you music. If the players are talking to the referee, I'm going to slowly fade it in. Depends on how long they're talking. If all four of the players are by the referee stand, I stayed out because I don't want to miss that as a fan. Um, and then the energy-wise, like when we got towards the finals, I kind of played some of the same music that I would normally play um, if there was a crowd there. But it was more to if I'm giving you music with a little bit more energy, it's letting everybody know this match is a little bit more important than the first match on for the AV these past AVP events. It was just two days for me because it was a smaller draw. Um, so the match on Saturday morning isn't going to be as musically intense as going into the finals. Did you bring more sound effects? I did add some more sound effects. The, uh, there were some eight bit noises that you were very proud of. Uh, the stranger things theme song was, oh, the that very, was amazing. It was the very, I think that was the first sound effect I played. Because Phil Dahlhauser, if anybody who's volleyball fans listening here, 6'9", blocker, yeah. sets butter. But he jump set the ball. I've never seen him jump set before in my life. So immediately, I think that was the first match of the day. I caught it the first time you Yeah, you, you caught it. it and yeah. I think people text me, my wife included, like, Kevin just mentioned Stranger Things on the broadcast. I was like, good, that's why I did it. It was so good. Yeah. It uh, came on, I was like, oh, yes, Jeremy, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I did add a few more sound effects, especially after the first weekend realizing that I wasn't going to do as much music the way I initially thought I was going to do it. What do you think, having done three weeks of that now, should we go back to fans for the next event? What do you think from your prep and learning in the last three weeks, some of the changes we just talked about, what do you think will stick around when we do have fans back in the stadium? 
Well, the new sound effects. The new sound effects are staying around for sure. <laughs> the uh, I think it was the last weekend was when I finally dropped it in the pew 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 sound effect. Mm-hmm. There was one like I did it a few times, but there was one time I think when Nick hit the ball like t- five feet off the net and it hit the tape and rolled over and scored a point, and it was like dead silent. And I hit that, and like everybody in the stadium was laughing their ass off. Yeah, because it just players included. It stood out so much at that moment. So that's definitely going to stay around. LeBron James. Um, LeBron James. Yeah, hilarious. Just things that happen for no reason. That you're like, oh, that's now going to be a sound effect just because. Because we're tr- like, those things I couldn't do at a Lakers game. Because yeah. this is definitely a different environment. So like, I think the players know enough where I'm like, I'm not making fun of them. I'm adding to, like I never, like if somebody's getting beat down and you just swung into the block and the block just, bounce 10 feet in the air before you even touch the ground i might not give you a sound effect because i kind of feel bad for you because i don't i'm not trying to rub it into you i'm trying yeah. to add to the atmosphere um that's a that's a good point i want to touch on that just for a second in the middle of what you're saying because there's a moment in chicago in 2018 where i'm hanging out with a group of fans that are wild crazy people and they start chanting at rich lamborn to flex during a match <laughs> and this is a important match yes. too yep and rich is complaining about the way rich does he's complaining about that <laughs> And easy say, with you, my team J rich member. Do you have no sense of what it's like to compete anymore? And I said, no, listen, it's an entertainment thing. You have to understand that's, that's part of the deal. And I made a point to the players at the banquet at the end of 2019. I said, I want you to understand that the things that I do are not designed because I have some agenda of needing attention, needing to be a star or whatever it may be, whether we're doing K walking or I end up in the player's tent, which is my least favorite place to be. <laughs> The things that we're doing for from me, understand that I'm trying to promote the game and promote you guys and and women and men. And and I would like to see everything build upon a foundation of success and all the stuff that we're trying. So there will be moments where my agenda is far different than the agenda of the athlete. Yeah, the athlete wants to win. Why do we have to have all the circus? Well, the circus helps. Mm-hmm. So, but I want them to understand that the things that I'm doing come from that place. Yeah. Comes from that place of trying to make the event better. So just like you're saying, when you insert a sound effect into a particular moment, it is not personal to the person. It is trying to feel out the event and make it fun or funny for the viewer who hopefully tells his friend who tells his friend. Cause then all you have to do is have your friend tell two other friends and each of those two friends tell two friends. Then every time that third group of friends who are now nine friends, they, when they come to the event, you get a dollar. And then from the <laughs> fans beyond that, you get 50 cents. You get a new car. You get a new car. You get a new <laughs> but car. But it's not a pyramid scheme at all. It's not a pyramid scheme. It's just, it's called multi-level market. Sorry. Sorry. It's a different, I'm on a different yes. commercial. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, I want people to understand that. The same goes for what you're talking about in game when when the players are subject to the same thing that everyone else can hear. Yeah, and I I hope at this point I have the players trust. So if you do, I, I would think yeah, sure. If I just got stuff back in my face and a sound effect happened, I might not be happy about it, right? But I'm more not happy about getting blocked. Not necessarily. You could take your anger out on me, sure. Like, and I right. completely understand that. Um, and I and I actually understand if a player got mad at me at that moment because it's that moment. I'm not taking it personally because um, I've had players get bummed out. They're like, "Hey, how come I can get the sound effect when I just bounced the ball?" And I'm like, "Sorry, this is match seven, and I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> like, the music is going, and like I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, but for some reason, I wasn't. My brain isn't working right now, so." I know you just bounced the yeah. ball the highest you've ever bounced in your life, but no sound effect for you. <laughs> and you got to figure out the player too, because some of the players want that interaction and some Correct. don't. Yeah. For instance, I'm 
above center court on Saturday, this last Saturday, yawning because I'm not on air. Mm-hmm. It's early. I'm off. Like we did the pre-show and now I'm hanging out. Player caught you. Taking notes, getting ready. Nick, Lucinda's going back. Sir goes, what? Are we not entertaining you? Awesome. <laughs> He's in the middle of the match. Like, Sorry, bro. Like, sorry, Nick. Do something r- really entertaining then. <laughs> yeah, some players can talk to you off, off of the court during right. the match. Others, like, I can't get them to smile, can't get them to say anything, but then they'll say something afterwards, like, oh, that was really cool. But, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's just their how they prepare for a game. Like your friend who is at a party, sitting in the corner, saying nothing, talking to no one, and you're like, dude, at the end of the night, did you did you have a good time? I had a great time. Yeah. That's just their thing. Yeah, that's that's 100%. They're, they're having a great time watching it. They don't need to, to be in it. If I can get Phil Dahlhauser to crack a smile during an event of because of something that yeah. I did, then I feel like I've won the tournament. Yeah, that's a good point. And and Phil, guys, I, I like talking to Phil a lot yeah. off when he's not playing because it feels quite engaging. 100%. Just when he's playing, he's not terribly engaging. He and with he and Todd he's, Rogers playing, I would rather watch grass grow because it just wasn't any fire there. Nick is fiery, and we'll yell at the refs and yell at Nick or and yell Phil. at Phil and yeah. yell at yeah. He calls him Philip, by the way. Philip, yes. yeah. He's entertaining, but yeah, you got to feel everybody out individually, and you're gonna run across some people that don't like what you're doing. Yeah. So I hope all the things that we I've never been a fan of playing music during play. I don't mind it as a player. I I like. We started practicing to it. So I had a really old school coach in Doug Beal for the the whole time I was on the national mm-hmm. team, 10 years. Mm-hmm. But for the last couple of years, we finally got some music during practice, especially warm-ups. Yeah. Then we turned it down for practice a little bit. But I like having music. But but it's here's better the, than dead. Correct. I, I agree. I, I agree with that. And I'm not my question though in is how long is your practice? Well, three hours. Okay. But I, you know, if I start out with the Yentl soundtrack, then I have to Correct. But like in the first, let's say the first 30 minutes, it's you guys just getting warm and so the music is blaring and then it br- is brought down a little bit yeah. when your coach is talking. But the whole playlist is music that you guys like, most likely. Most of the players like it on the playlist. I'm pretty eclectic. No, it, it just was whatever was on in some cases. Got it. I'm pretty eclectic. I, I, if it has a good beat, I can get fired up to it. It's not like... If you go from gangster rap to heavy metal, I have some sort of problem at one yeah. end or the other. I like both ends. But that's always my question then is if I am playing, right? Because a lot of people like the current new music. Current new music could only get me through a half hour of the day, if that right. makes sense. Right. So my question then is the reason why I, I think about playing music all day long is like, yes, I know what I would want to listen to while I was warming up or playing. Right. Now, I'm only on your court for 45 minutes, and then I'm gone the rest of the day. Now, every other player that comes on to the court wants that same thing. And or, right. I, let's say I start playing music of an artist that you don't like while you are playing. Not between points, not during timeouts, like while you're actually playing. Now, I do realize that a lot of players tune it. They don't hear it during play anyways. I, get, I completely get that. But I'm always curious about, let's say I'm playing a song like you just hate for whatever reason. Right, because let's be honest. Most of the time, I'm playing music that I like because it's eight hours a day, and I have to entertain myself. That's how I feel about the broadcast and all the '80s references. I have to entertain myself. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because if let, let me, I'm not let, trying to play bad music, obviously, but I don't know every single player's taste. Or some players like music that is just not going to get anybody fired up at all whatsoever. So I me, can't play that. Let me tell you how to do your job, please. Okay, here's. If you Cold take play, nothing else from this interview, by... you should definitely play Coldplay. 
I don't understand why you didn't win the shark contest when I played. I finally played. I, I finally played music that you liked. I went interpretive. <laughs> I thought I got several good. It was actually really. Several bouts of good yeah, feedback. It was really not fun. from Tom Fuhrer. So Tom, well, you don't like the sharks? Tough. Yeah. So. I'll tell you, this is what you need You need to not do. Okay. I'm going to tell you what you need. You can figure out what to do, but I'm going to tell you what not to do, Can't wait. Jeremy. Yes. Do not play anything from the late 90s. Nothing. Hmm. Do, don't play any Matchbox 20. Well, that's not going to happen. Don't play any Third Eye Blind. That's not going to happen. Okay. No Rob Thomas solo career either. But you're, then you've taken out half of my playlist with hip hop. Well, no, that's fine. The hip hop's fine. Got like the alt rock uh, alternative. The alt rock <laughs> revolution, easy listening. Mambo number no. five should never come out under any circumstances. Well, that's now going to happen uh, because unless you don't Angela it. and Gina are playing. You know, then yes. if you have a pairing that's Angela and Gina, fine. or whatever, then that's fine. But do not. That's it. And Baja Men. Who let the dogs out, bro? Yeah, you could you play I but sparingly. Have an autographed CD. From the Bahamas. From Bahamas. <laughs> I love it. Just some I love trivia it. for you. It just, the 90s music to me does not stand up. You look at the, the late 70s. It's not going to be what's played at a sporting event. It's not going to fire anybody up. Late 70s is pretty good. There's lots of pretty good stuff that, that stood up from then, right? You get classic rock, funk, all that stuff. Yeah, the middle 80s, you have the emergence of some hip hop. You've got the, the, the heyday of hair bands. There's lots of good ballads to hard driving songs that, that stand up over time. I would argue Firehouse, but other people would say no. Mm -hmm. But then you get to the 90s, and you've got the whole Nirvana thing. I think it's a little overrated, although I do like it. It's just so angsty and angry and, and doesn't know where to go. But then that fades off into this like sanitized version of alt rock. Like I'm still wearing flannel, yeah. But now I'm 40 years old. Well, Nirvana, you know, if you were like in your tw late 20s, some of the main songs from Nirvana that you play at a sporting event have energy to them. Where Third yeah. Eye Blind is not going to have any energy to it. That's what I mean. It's, it, you got flannel on, but you're tired because you got two kids. It's just a bad, bad series of music. It's just not good. So stay away from anything. Okay, I, I won't play that for you. Third Eye Blind or Matchbox 20 adjacent. I would play, I think it was Three Doors Down, uh, Superman for Sean Rosenthal, just because that made sense. Uh, and it was fine. just, it was during, it was early warm ups. It's fine. Yeah. And what about Alice in Chains? There's a couple Alice in Chains songs yeah, I play. Okay. But like Rob Thomas, Dirt. yes. I'm not like Santana. I'm not going to be playing Santana. No, God, no more Santana. No. First of all, I'm, I'm not playing Santana. So. No. <laughs> Especially the Rob Thomas one. Terrible. Not for sporting event. It's not a bad. I'm not saying no, it's a terrible song. No, don't play it ever anyway. No, it's <laughs> terrible. I'm saying right now, it's terrible overall. Got never it. play that stupid song. Whatever the hell that Got riff it. is. Yeah. Never. So that's why I say like, and as a fan, right? Like sitting in the stands now at an AVP event, the same fans aren't in the stands all day long. I explain it as I'm doing a Lakers game condensed into 45 minutes eight mm -hmm. times a day. So right. usually, like, not every fan, but, like, the fans on Friday, Saturdays flow in and out of the stadium depending on who's it's on different the stadium people, court. Yeah. Different people all day long. Um, That's still happening, but you can't see it or feel it. Correct. Um, I'm not against playing music all the time, but there's a fine line of, and I use this term all the time, am I DJing the event or am I DJing? Because those are two completely different things. DJing a sporting event and just DJing... I can play music to the entire venue and set a vibe. But then if that, let's say the match, if I was playing to the entire venue and just playing a vibe of music, the Saturday nights in the places you were talking about wouldn't happen the same way. 
Because right. if there's something going on the outer court, I'm having to set the vibe to all of it. If I'm focused on that match, then I can do everything. I can DJ this match. Right. Um, where people think like you're at Manhattan Beach and on court 13, you can hear music. You're like, I don't like this song. I'm like, bro, it's an iPod with a playlist. I have no idea what song is on at what time out there. So shut your pie hole. And, first of all, they took the time to email you. Or, yeah. Or first of all, know what you're song. talking about before you complain to me. Or just, just shush. Just you. Just are Zip you it. are you enjoying the volleyball? Zip it. Then that's then you're, you're fine. I'm not taking away from it, so you're just fine. Yeah. Who's even listening to the podcast at this point? Well, how, how far are we in here? We are. Well, it's not live. It's recorded. I understand that. Yeah. Don't worry. I'm going to cut out all the terrible stuff that you said. <laughs> We're over an hour at this point, at yeah, least. I, I wonder who's still here besides Big Asia. Everybody's still here. Big Asia's Kevin. still here. And uh, who's your other guy? Omar is still here. Omar's listening. What's up, Omar? My mom will listen. Hi, mom. Yeah, Sherry. Yeah. Yeah, she'll listen. Yeah. So all 10 people will listen. Asian Rich, also known as Big Asia, in his in his ports. Asian Rich, who I'm going to call him out right now. I'm not going to say exactly what he did, but... He wears ports. You know what those are? I don't. Pants shorts, but they're really long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He and thinks not they're like... pants, but they're not pants unless they touch your shoes. He's a supermodel, bro. He can wear whatever he wants. That is, he is a handsome man. He uh, he may or may not have sent text messages of advice to coaches this past three weeks. For sure he did. Of things that he sees and that maybe they should think about. And I would like for you to ask him about that. Because uh, when well, he told me... his next Instagram post? When he yeah. told me he did that, I said, good luck with that. Um, and then I, I asked him, would you take advice on modeling from somebody that takes selfies as a hobby. I'm going to send him advice on modeling now, actually. You should. Yeah. Next time I see And by the way, he wasn't happy when I said that to him. I'm going to tell him, I, I think you should have gone tank top in that photo, bro. That was a bad clothing choice. And you are you need more blue steel. All right. Yeah. Are we done or do, you, do I have to... No. I, th- I think I remembered everything I wanted to remember. Yeah. I got to go home and make more DJ Roche logo things. Please do. I mean, I got some leather stuff today. There's some wood stuff. Yeah. Everybody that comes into... Our place, which isn't very many people because I don't like people, um, comment on the piece by the door that you made out of my very first uh, DJ speakers. Yeah. People like that one on my gram too. Yeah. Or they'll off. see um, the on my live stream the last couple of weeks, if you tune in, you've seen my logo on my garage door behind me. They'll be like, oh, that's really dope. And I'll be like, yeah, the person that did that did the table out there too. They're like, what? I was like, yeah. They're like, oh my God. So hopefully I'm getting you... T- Tons of business. I still... Because I'm a social media influencer, Kevin. I'm still very proud of the moment I showed up at your wedding. Very short guest list. (laughs) And I got out of the Uber. With a trash bag. And I was carrying a trash bag with a large object in it. And the look on your face, one of panic and discontent. Because it was like, of course, whatever Kevin did, of course it's in a trash bag and he brought it to the wedding. Whatever it is, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. I don't know what of this course, is. Of course, that's, what, that's on brand, as they would say, Kevin. It's on brand. As if there aren't enough things to worry about today. He has done this. Whatever this is. And then, hey, Jeremy, you got a place I can put this? Yeah. Yeah. It's called in your car, Kevin. What is it? Yeah. <laughs> that, that piece is also prominently displayed in our kitchen. Yes, I'm very proud of that. Yes. Um, yeah, well, thanks for coming in. Uh, it's fun to talk on a new podcast. Though we got rid of that old, terrible podcast that we did for 10 years. That show sucks. Ugh, who cares? Talking about volleyball. Lame. 
I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Maybe we'll do it again when fans are back. I hope that's soon. Ditto. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kevin Barnett. Hope you enjoyed it. Until next time. <laughs>